Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Our purpose here at Overflow Church is that every person in our city and every person in our community would encounter the reality of Jesus. That people wouldn't just know who Jesus is. They wouldn't just read him about read read about him in a book that they wouldn't just say a prayer to him but Jesus would really encounter Jesus in a real and tangible way that when they encounter Jesus it matters in their life it makes a difference and when they when they leave a church service or they leave a conversation with you they walk away and they go I know Jesus is real I encountered him in a real way. So that's what we're talking about. And that's our purpose, that we would have encounters in our service, that we would have encounters in our conversations, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our car when we're driving and it's just Jesus. We're experiencing encounters and we're also demonstrating encounters to other people. Are you with me? And so our philosophy is this. Everything in our life boils down to an encounter with Jesus. Everything does. Um, we, we, our philosophy is that people, if people are well-connected with Jesus, then he will bring fulfillment to every area of their life. Everything that you need in your life can be fulfilled in an encounter with Jesus. Are you with me? So what we normally do is we spend tons of money on doctors and we... Thank God for doctors. Come on. We love that. We spend thousands of money on, on books to read every year. We, we, we do all these things to fulfill a big old hole inside of our life that if we would just find that in the place of encounter, we would be a lot better off. Come on. Are you with me? And so thank God that he uses other means sometimes. Praise the Lord. But um, everything should lead us to an encounter with the Lord, and it, it will... Um, affect every area of our life. So everything that we need happens in the context of encounter. So as a church, we are kingdom cultured, presence centered, and relationally connected. And so what we're saying is what we talked about last week, that we are the keys hold, key holders of the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about God's dominion on the earth. We're kingdom cultured. We're presence centered, meaning that we value the presence of Jesus. We value the presence of Jesus, not just in our services, but everywhere we go. We believe in the presence of Jesus because we know that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he transforms situations. He transforms lives. He brings resolve. This is what he does. So if we will be a presence-centered people, if we will be centered around the presence of Jesus, then we will see people encounter the Lord. We will see revival. When I say revival, I'm not talking about a stadium packed out with people. I'm talking about the presence of God flowing through the people as they go out and, and do their lives with the Lord. That's what revival looks like. Revival looks like when people are getting saved at your workplace more than it looks like people getting saved in church. We want people saved in church, but are they getting saved in the home? Are they getting saved in the workplace? Are they getting saved at school? Are they getting saved at the grocery store? That's what revival looks like. Come on. We love that. And the other thing is relationally connected because we believe that the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Come on. And so we're relationally connected. Now, way back in the beginning when God created man, how many remember the creation story? Every, every person has value. Did you know that? Every person has value, right? Every single person. Listen, the people that are forgotten and the people that are most despised. Come on. Even enemies. Can I tell you this? Even people that are enemies of God, 
Even people that are your enemies are still valuable because God put inside them the image of God. We are image bearers. Everybody say image bearers. And we get this from Genesis chapter 1. I should probably let y'all respond when I say that, right? In Genesis chapter 1, it says this, verse 26, Then God said, let us. Everybody say, let us. Now, understand that, that God is, there is one God, but God has three persons, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when it says us, that's what it's talking about. Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. And what will they do? They'll do what we do. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. I love that. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Do you get this? Humans are created in the image of God. Uh, there was a, uh, I, don't, I don't have the exact stats, but uh, people were, uh, went, there's a, a university called PragerU, and I watched this video, and they were talking about how they went out on the streets and polled people. They said, if you saw a stranger dying or your dog, which one would you save? If they were drowning, you can only save one. And did you know that most people chose their dog over the life of a human? Why? Because they forgot that human, val- human life is more valuable than the lives of animals. Why? Because humans are made in the image of God. It's not saying that dogs' lives aren't valuable. They are, but what would you choose? How I many you know that's a messed up mindset? That's like, really? It was something like 70%. I was floored. I mean, I've had some pets that I was close to, but humans are created in the image of God because why? Because are valuable because they're created in the image of God. So God created humans in their own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, right? Come on. God, was, God is not confused. He created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. You know what that means? Have babies. God blessed them. He said, now you're going to have babies. I mean, having babies is a blessing. So be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And then he says, and govern it. So God created man in his own image, set him on the earth, said rule over everything, create more babies, fill the earth with people, and govern the earth. What is he, what are we, what, the word there is, is, is dominion. Take dominion over the earth. Now, we think dominion, we get kind of like, oh, man, oppressing the people. No, no, no. The kingdom doesn't, of God doesn't work like that. Kingdom means that, that God is ruling on the earth. So what happens is God said, this is my world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commune with man. We're going to hang out on the world together. We're going to live in the garden together. We're gonna, I'm going to come and we're going to hang out. But listen, we have this cool relationship, and that's great, but I put you here to rule and reign. This is my world, but you get the keys to it. What we talked about last week. If you didn't get a key, we have keys for you back there. He said, so it's my world, but here you go. You got the keys. Rule and reign, govern the earth, govern my earth. One of the great themes through scripture is stewardship. God has given us the keys. So we know that God was with Adam. Remember, he would go to the Garden of Eden. They would hang out. And they functioned together in this role. So even though that man was doing it, he was really doing it in partnership with God. The fuel was the presence of the Lord. Are you with me? However... The image that God put inside Adam and Eve 
begin to be questioned. Check this out in Genesis chapter chapter 3. You guys there? It says this. This is the enemy, right? Shows up in the garden. We know the story. And look what he says. This is what he says. For God knows, he's like, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How many of y'all know the devil's a liar? So, wait a second. They were tempted to believe a lie. And the lie was this, that they weren't like God and they didn't know the difference between good and evil. Wait a second. Why is he saying that? God is afraid you'll be like him? They're already like him. They were already created in the image of God. So what happens is the enemy will come in and he'll begin to question that in you. You don't look like Jesus. Your life doesn't measure up. He began to question them. And then he said this, you'll know the difference between good and evil. How many know they already knew the difference? The difference was right there. Don't eat of this tree. Eat of this tree, but don't eat of this one. They knew the difference between good and evil. It's interesting that the enemy will twist the truth very so many times to mess up our perspective. And listen, to question that we are created to represent God on the earth, and that's exactly why God created them in that image. God created us in the image of God so we could represent him on the earth. So to question that we were created to represent God will hinder us in fulfilling our purpose. And this is exactly what happened. So we know the story. Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, and they were exiled of the garden. They were exiled from the place of intimacy. And, they felt, and at that time, what they did is they said, here's the keys, devil. And that's what we do every time that when we sell out to our identity. Come on. Here you go, devil. Take the keys to my life. Are we going to believe what God said? See, if Adam and Eve would have just believed God in what he said, they would have never been tempted with this question. So sin entered the scene, and we forfeited our value as created images. Now, we were still created in the image of God, and we still had human value, but we gave up the keys and the authority to fulfill our purpose at that moment. So from that point on in mankind, God said, God said it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be work. It's going to be striving. It's, but God still wanted to have a presence on the earth, didn't he? There was no longer a Garden of Eden, or there was. They, were just, they just couldn't go in there. And then, so God set up some other systems for people to connect with God because he knew that they, they still had a plan and God still had a grace and he still wanted his kingdom to be represented on earth but it was going to be kind of jacked up. It was going to be hard. And so God created a system. And the first system that we know of is the altar. And God said, well, this will be a place of sacrifice. You bring sacrifices, and then you can talk to me. And then he created a little bit more permanent thing. He created a tent called a tabernacle. He said, if you come and you do the sacrifices, you come to the tent, you do all the right rituals, you can connect with me. And then God said, and then David said, hey, Lord, it's, it, you're, you're living in the, in the tent while I'm living in the palace. I want to build a temple, a permanent place for you to dwell. And so they built a temple, and God would dwell in the temple when sacrifices were made, when all the regulations were met, God would come and commune with people. And this was the system. 
You couldn't come to a service like this and worship God and have an encounter with God and God speak to you and do things in your life. It didn't work like that. You had to go to a man and say, hey, I've got issues. I need some, I need some counsel, right? I lost three sheep this week. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. Will you talk to God for me? That was the system. Now, understand that even though this wasn't a great system, God still loved having a place that represented him on the earth, the temple, right? In fact, so much so that one of the times that we see Jesus infuriated is whenever people were in the temple and they weren't meeting with God. Why? Because God wants a place to dwell. God said, I want this place. So Jesus shows up in the temple, Matthew chapter 21, and he gets frustrated. Remember, they were selling things. They were making money on God. And so he said, listen, and how many know God doesn't really have a problem with you making money? But he, he, he's more than that. We're, we're, he, he's not the object of us making money. And so Jesus shows up at the temple. All these guys are selling money. So Jesus starts throwing over tables, pulls out a whip, starts throwing guys out of window. Money changers are running everywhere. Everybody's freaking out. And he says this, right? My father's house, dad's house, is a place of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. Now, we focus on the den of thieves problem. But understand, the problem that Jesus had is that they had stripped the purpose of the house of God. The house of God was supposed to be a place for God to dwell, for man to communicate with God and God to communicate with man. And they ended up making a money-making machine to benefit themselves. You can call it money. You can call it anything, a way to benefit them. And God said, I didn't set it up for that. I set it up so we can talk. Prayer, a house of prayer. So we can be together. So the system was very broken. God created the system, but he created a very broken system. Scripture tells us, read the book of Hebrews, that God created the system called the law and the rituals and the Levites and all this kind of stuff. So there was a system to go to God, but the system didn't really work because you had to be perfect for the system to work. And if you know anything about people, people aren't perfect. And so God was like, And God had already had this planned out way even before he created Adam. He said, so I'll create a new system. So when Jesus dies, what happens? The veil in that temple, the place where God met with man, was torn. And scripture actually says that there was an earthquake, that the pillars of the temple began to shake. Why? Because God says, I am breaking the thing that is broken. It's broken. I've got a solution. And he said, I'm the wellspring of life. What I'll do, instead of living in a tent or living on an altar or even living in a garden, I'll come and I'll live in the people. Not because they're perfect, but I'll perfect perfect them by being in them. This is why that you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because God is dwelling in you. You are his dwelling place. See, you were created to bear the image of God. And you were created to carry the presence of God. See, if God's going to do something on the earth, he's going to use us. That's the way God moves. God sovereignly shows up sometimes in a dream or in a vision and speaks to us. But most of the time when God moves on somebody's life, he uses a vessel. He uses one of us. Doesn't he? 
1 Corinthians chapter 6.19 says this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? See, we love this building. It's great. It's awesome. We get to come together. We get to work. It provides, it's an atmosphere for us to come together. But this is really not the house of God. Right? I know people say that. Eh, I guess kind of it is. We want to we want to be respectful. We want to honor things. But really, we are the house of God. And it's built on this foundation which we talked about last week. You don't know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have not received, whom you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. See, Jesus paid a very, very, very high price for us to become his dwelling place. What are you doing with your dwelling place? Are you allowing it to be a place to dwell? Or are you just a consumer of the Lord? I come to him whenever I need him. Or am I allowing him to dwell in and through my life? See, God has a gate on the earth. We're the gate. But we're vessels, but we're broken, aren't we? Just like that old system, just like those buildings, just like that altar, just like the old system, the new system is kind of broken too. Because the system that God uses is us. And so we're broken. We're unfit. Really, the new system isn't about people at all. It's about Jesus. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Right? So it's really all about him. But the problem is, is broken vessels don't carry things well, do they? Huh? That's right. So if I get a broken jar and try to put some water in it and carry it across the room, I'm going to lose some of that, if not all of it. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. You guys got your Bibles today? My people have committed two sins. Uh-oh. Just two. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, we're doing pretty good today, right? My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the wellspring of living water, or the spring of living water, and they have dunked their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Cisterns were uh, containers that were dug out of the clay that water would be stored in. But he said this. He said, they try to create their own capacity. They try to fit me into their vessel. The problem is they're broken vessels that hold no water. So God says, I want to dwell in people, but there's a problem. People are broken. We're broken people. We don't, we don't carry the presence very good. So this is why Jesus came to repair us. He came to fix what was broken. Aren't you glad? There's a story in John chapter 4 that I want to share to you today about a woman. 
And I love this story so much because I think it's our story. I think it's your story. I think it's my story. I think it's the story of humanity. Even though it's about a woman, it's really the story of humanity because it's a story about a broken woman. In John chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Jesus was tired as he was as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, Jacob's well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And then the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. How many know that racism is an old issue? And Jesus answered to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked me for a drink. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. In other words, you didn't bring a container. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? We talked a little bit about Jacob last week. This was his well. As did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus answered, verse 13, Whoever drinks this water, speaking of the well, will be thirsty again. But verse 14, But everyone who drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, this is awesome, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Other words, if you drink from me, I won't just quench your thirst, I'll make you a river. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, (laughs) give me this water so that I won't ever get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. (laughs) And he said to her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands. And the man you have right now that you're living with is not even your husband. And she says this, she says, What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you're a prophet. Now, Jesus was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. Are you with me? You know, there's several things about this woman that shows up at the well that day. The first thing is that she was a woman. Now, you got to understand something about Jewish culture. As a Hebrew man did not talk to a woman in the street. We saw Jesus do this every time because he likes breaking broken rules. Not even with his mother, his sister, his daughter, or his wife. It was, it was very frowned upon for a Hebrew man in those days to talk to a woman in public. If they're going to talk to a woman, we'll talk about it when we get home. Right? Like he didn't have to say that because that would be inappropriate. That wouldn't be PC. Right? So he kind of had like a sign on him that says, we'll talk about it when we get home. <laughs> right? It was just understood. Walk behind me. And we'll talk about it when we get to read the sign. We'll talk about it when we get home. So she was a woman. The next thing about this woman is she was a Samaritan woman. Now, Samaritans, you got to understand, they were like half Jewish. So they knew the Jewish traditions. They knew the Jewish laws, but they weren't Jewish. In fact, the Jewish people referred to the Samaritans as dogs. 
Could you imagine social media in those days? So Jews were not supposed to talk to them. They were actually enemies. Yet Jesus breaks what's broken. Number three, she was immoral. Most scholars believe that she was a prostitute. That she would move on to man to man, pay her bills, and get what she could. And when they got tired of her, she would move on to the next one. She was an immoral Samaritan woman who probably had a reputation. See, wells in those days were, were places where people would come to hang out. Women would plan to, to go at the well at the same time every day so they could hang out and talk and, you know, women, how they need to get all those words out. They would do that at the well. <laughs> But she was alone. Why was she alone? Because she was an immoral woman and no one wanted to associate with her. She was a broken woman. This could have been the social hot point of a woman's day, yet she had to miss out on it. You know, growing up as a kid, the social hot point of a woman's day, if she was a stay-at-home mom, was watching like Young and the Restless or something. Right? Days of our lives. In those days, they, you know, went to the well. No funny. And number four, she was guilty of this, and she knew she was guilty. And she was likely ridden with shame. She probably went to the well when she knew no one else would be there because there would be no one to accuse her. There'd be no one to insult her. So she was shocked probably when she saw Jesus there. I mean, it was lunchtime. Everybody was in town eating. I propose that she lived in fear that her past was catching up to her. And when she sees Jesus as a prophet, she freaks out. If you'll study the Bible in Numbers chapter 5, there is a, a trial called the trial of jealousy that deals with the suspicion of adultery. It's called the trial of jealousy or the trial of bitterness. And so what would happen is if a husband suspected his wife was cheating on him, they would go to the priest and he would say, I think my wife is cheating on me. I think she's been an immoral woman. She's been in adultery. And so what the priest would do is he would take holy water that was in the temple and he would mix it with some of the dust of the ground of the temple and he'd make kind of this potion and the woman would drink it. If she was innocent, it would just be like she's drinking water. But the water was considered bitter water. So if she drank the water and she was guilty, it would actually shrivel up her womb and she would never be able to bear children. The trial of jealousy. I believe, because she knew the Jewish tradition, she was a Samaritan. I believe when she went to Jesus and they start talking about water and she sees she's a prophet, she probably starts getting a little bit nervous. What kind of water is this man talking about? Does it all end here? And Jesus says, I'm not giving you bitter water, water that destroys. I'm giving you living water, water that puts life inside of you, not water that shrivels a womb, 
water that opens a womb. She was broken. She was scared. You know, I make a lot of assumptions about this story because I understand women a little bit. As much as any man could understand a woman, I'm still not there. I, I, I try to do good. I study really hard. I've been studying for 13 years, you know, about the time you think, no, totally wrong, wrong direction, start over. Okay. But the one thing that I understand about my wife and, and most women that I know is they have a dream. They have a dream of bearing children. They have a dream of nourishing people. They have a dream of being loved, of being valued. And here's a woman who's wasted her life on men that wouldn't value her. And probably when she's having this conversation, she's thinking, maybe he's the next guy. I propose she was a broken dreamer. Maybe she dreamed of having kids one day. I don't know, but I think probably she did. Maybe she would have a, a man that really loved her. She was broken in her ability to contain what God had for her. What God had purposed for her. This is the second character of this story. Isn't there? And see, the thing I love about Jesus is Jesus repairs the broken. He repairs what is broken. See, Jesus wants to renew dreams. But first, he wants to repair the dreamer. See, some of us are asking the Lord for a dream, and he's going, I want to fix you. I don't want to just give you a big plan for your life. I want to fix you. And so this is what happened. I don't want water. I, I mean, I want water. And Jesus is like, well, I'll give you something better than water. I'll give you a river. How's that sound? You must first repair the dreamer. And also understand this about Jesus, is that Jesus will never give us what we need without giving us the means to contain it. So in order for Jesus to turn this woman into a wellspring, he had to repair her. You know, the, one of the things that's awesome about the Lord is he, he is not bothered by our brokenness. In fact, I think our brokenness draws the Lord. I believe that the water wasn't what drew Jesus to the well. I believe it was this woman. Because Jesus was always looking for broken people. You know, when we planted Overflow, uh, we, God was really stirring some things in, in my heart, let's say my heart. And, and uh, one of the, the statements that we made about our church is that we said, you know what, Jesus, we will love everyone you send us. Lord, we're going to love on people. And Lord, we ask that you will send the broken, that we can love them. Those that have been burned by church, those that have been wounded by the church. Lord, we ask that you send those people. Because we believe in the church, the church. 
And we want people's hope in the church to be restored. We don't put all their hope in the church. It's in Jesus. But we want people to understand that the church is God's plan, and we want to repair that. And so our heart is really that the Lord would restore the broken. And I love Psalm 34, verse 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. See, I'm drawn to broken people because Jesus is drawn to broken people, and he's inside of me. That's why when you see broken people, you feel that inside of you. You know what that is? That's not because you're such a good person. It's because the spirit of God is inside of you and wants to move you with compassion. We should be drawn to the broken. Listen, if you walk in the room and someone's broken and you turn and you walk away, then you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You need to repent and you need to ask God to fill you because we should be attracted to the broken because Jesus repairs the broken. Number two, Jesus does what it takes to meet needs. Look at your neighbor and say, he does what he takes. He does what it takes. Jesus was tired and thirsty, yet seeing the need, listen, seeing the need of this woman surprised his, his desire to meet his own need. He stopped thinking about food. It says that he was hungry. He was obviously thirsty. He was at the well. But he was like, hold off. This is more important. This one is more important. And he does what's necessary. You guys got to understand that Jesus talking to this woman was shady. I mean, shady Jesus. Jesus, what are you doing talking to a woman? Jesus, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman? Shady Jesus. In fact, let me tell you this. Men would show up to wells looking for women. It's just true. I mean, Jacob found his wife at a well. Moses found his wife at a well. So Jesus, we're going into town. Stay away from the well. What is he doing at a well talking to a woman? Shady Jesus. Well, see, Jesus doesn't really care so much about what you think. What he cares about is the broken woman at the well. And he's more concerned about that then it is about looking PC. So Jesus does what it takes to meet needs. In fact, let me say this. Jesus did what it took to meet needs. Number three. Jesus opens wells. We love the come all who are thirsty part. I love that. I'm thirsty. He quenches my thirst. But he doesn't just quench your thirst. He's the God of the overflow. When you drink, he puts a spring inside of you. Most of us do this with that spring. Your wells of living water. I don't want to go out there, Lord. They're mean. They'll hurt my feelings. He's like, come out of the closet. (laughs) Come on. Open your mouth. Be my hands. Be my feet. You are a well. No, he's the well. 
You, you are an offshoot of that well. Be who you are. Bear the image. Bear the presence. This is who we are. And you know what Jesus did? I don't know if he healed the woman at that, at that moment. I don't know if he, or even if she wasn't healed. I don't know what her childbearing status was. I know what she probably dreamed. But I do know this. He made her a well because instantly she went out. It says, it says in the next verse or, or later on in the story, John chapter 4, verse 28, it says that then leaving her water jar, leaving everything that she came for, she left and the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see the man. Come see the man. What was she doing? She was becoming a well. Come see the man. She was becoming a river. She was becoming a spring. Come see the man who told me everything I, could, I ever did. Come see the man. Could this be Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. The woman who everyone despised, everyone knew her reputation, she said, come see the man. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus took a broken, jacked up, guilty, shameful vessel and said, listen, I'm going to fix the vessel. And I'm going to make the vessel a fountain. We've been lied to. The world will tell you that time will heal all wounds. The world will tell you eventually you'll get over it. But what I found is that time doesn't heal all wounds. Time just makes broken places, bitter places. How many of you are with me on that? What I've learned is that when I get wounded, if I don't deal with the wounds, they fester. I think this morning the Lord wants to repair some wells. He wants to repair some vessels. He wants to repair you. Whatever your brokenness is. Whatever your past is. Whatever your history is. He wants to heal you. He wants to flood you with his presence. He wants you to be that that well that people come to and drink of him.